Hey Westside family, my name is Eric Johnson and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys and enjoy. I'm going to be talking about walking on, on, on thin eyes. I'm going to be re- very, very honest with you. Uh, <clears throat> I've had a hard time with this one. Uh, I've wrestled with the Lord. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say what I got to say today. <laughs> We've been talking for the last couple of weeks uh, about rights and wrongs. And, you know, we, we, we've been with you guys for seven years. Yeah, this last, or thank you, Fourth of July weekend was, was seven years. Uh, here, uh, some of you don't, may not know that we was actually with Westside for, uh, for five years in Santa Paula. Uh, so, you know, that's a total of 12 years. Well, 12 years you guys had to put up with me in some form or fashion. God bless you guys. No, the point that I'm making is, I hope you've come to realize my, our hearts as, as not just pastors, but as, as leaders and ministers, and it's never our intent to come to you in a preachy, uh, judgmental, uh, or negative way. Our intent, number one, is to be led by the Spirit. Uh, number two, two is to come with a heart of love. Uh, and number three, to come with the truth. Even if the truth hurts. Today, what I'm going to be talking about is coming from the Bible. When I deal with some of these topics, and today I'm going to deal with some controversial topics, not because I want to. I'm coming from one specific area in the Bible and I'm trying to keep, I'm not trying, I'm keeping my opinion out of it. There's times I give you my opinion and I, and I let you know I'm giving you my opinion. Uh, when it comes to controversial topics, political topics, I really don't even give you my opinion. And so today uh, we, we are going to be looking at some controversial issues uh, that is apparent present in our society, but we are seeing, we're going to see what the Bible says about them. We are living in a, in a, a scary time. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen socially, politically, financially, but most important, we don't know what's going to happen. I'm sorry. From the next minute to minute in regards to if God is going to return. Everything's been done. All the prophecies has been filled. Everything has occurred that needs to occur in order for God to return for his bride. 
So all we are doing is waiting. And because of the signs of the times, and because of what is happening, and we can see where this is going to be a setup for what the Bible says is going to happen in the tribulation period, because of the signs of the time, we know it could happen anytime. I'm not, I never get on the bandwagon that Jesus is coming back such and such date. I've told you this before. Jesus told his disciples in the first chapter of Acts that nobody knows the time, not even himself. And then he immediately began to go into, but you, have, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness. So in my perspective of Scripture, Jesus was uh, unofficially saying, don't worry about when I'm going to come back. Just worry about being a witness so you can save souls. And that is my take on it. I don't focus on when Jesus is coming back. I focus on the needs of people through the context of ministry. But with that being said, we are living in a very unpredictable time. We are coming According to the signs, we are coming to the end of the age we are in. And the age we are in is called the age of grace. And so because of that, what's extremely important is an examination of our lives. An examination of not only our lives, but an examination of the lives of people that we have influence with. And not only an examination of lives, but an understanding of biblical reality. Sometimes biblical reality can be overlooked or not really received as a reality because we don't want to have to deal with the circumstances or consequences or we don't have to make the hard choices that is required. But there is a reality in the Bible when it comes to heaven and when it comes to hell. And when it comes to who will be going to heaven and who will be going to hell. And I'm going to talk to you this morning, and this is going to be the last service that me or Lorana talk about rights and wrongs. And again, I'm only saying this because I, I, I tried my best to get out of it. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And I'm only going to say what I'm going to say because of what the Bible says. Because so I don't know about you. I want to make for darn sure that my choices and the choices of the people I influence isn't going to send me to hell. Because there is a reality. As sure as I stand before you today, there is a possibility that I could go to hell. If my choices are not right, and sure as you are sitting before me today, there is a reality that you could go to hell. if your choices isn't right. I know there's a message out there about grace, that once you believe in Jesus, his grace covers all your sins. 
And it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to go to heaven. But to be very honest with you, that is contrary to specific areas of New Testament Scripture. And I want to show you just one of those areas of Scripture in which that is contrary to, to start off with. It's in Revelations chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me, let, let me emphasize this here. What the Spirit says to the churches. This verse is not talking to worldly people. It's not talking to, quote, sinners. It's not talking to people who are anti-God, but this verse is talking to church people. And then he goes to say, who over, he, I'm sorry, it's been, been uh, you know, not, doesn't have a he slash she there, it's the way it is in the Bible. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So who is he talking to? He's talking about the church. And he's telling them that if you overcome, if church people, if believers overcome, you will not be hurt by the second death. So technically, what is being said here? What is technically being said here is that people in church has a possibility of encountering the second death. What is the second death? The second death is listed in the Bible four times, and all four times it's listed in Revelations. And, the, and you're going to hear exactly what it is here in a second, but I'm just going to tell you before I read it. The second death is hell. It's the lake of fire. It's the place that God created and reserved for demons and Satan. But it's also a place that certain people will go. And a part of those certain people is people who believe in Jesus, who go to church, who consider themselves Christians. But for whatever reason, they have not made the choices that will allow their name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They have made choices that constitutes entry or damnation into the second death. So what are these choices? Let's, let's, let's read. This is the main verse for today and what we're going to look at. It's Revelations 21.8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abdominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
So what are these things? You might think, well, this, these don't apply to me. Well, let's just look at them. I hope not. And this is either for your personal application or this will be for your knowledge that you can use to apply to somebody else's life that needs salvation. You get that, right? Either I'm preaching to you to apply it or I'm preaching to you to give you the information so that you can apply it to somebody else's life. So let's look at each one of these because each one of these, is the Bible is telling us that each one of those those eight things will send us to the lake of fire. And we know by the verse that we just read that he told churches that you have to overcome so that you will not be hurt by the lake of fire. Overcome what? Overcome the things that will send you the lake of fire cowardly what does this mean this can be kind of taken out of context just to take a look at the word so and I want to tell you each one of these words I dug deep into so I'm giving you the right information I dug into the original writing I dug into the Greek I dug into the Hebrew so I did not want to give you a modern interpretation of them I wanted to give you a biblical interpretation of them cowardly what does that mean It literally means Christians who give way under persecution and apostatize. So so technically what this means is Christians who abandon their faith. That's what it means. Apostatize. I have a hard time saying that. Apostatize literally means to abandon one's own religion a wonderful example I didn't even think about think about it until Lorana asked asked about it last night when we were we were discussing this I, I, I came home from the church yesterday and I was like man I am so uneasy I am not feeling good about this message and she she said would that apply to Peter and light bulbs kicked on What did Peter do when Jesus was on trial? He absolutely denied Christ. He absolutely dropped his his relationship with God. And Jesus even said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So it don't matter what happens. It don't matter if we have a good reason or not. It doesn't matter if we are under persecution. It doesn't matter if people are turning their backs on us. It doesn't matter if we are losing our jobs. It doesn't matter if we could be thrown into jail, prison. It doesn't matter if we could be facing death. It just doesn't matter. If we, in this context, are cowards, in other words, if we abandon our faith in Jesus Christ, guess where we are going? We are going to the lake of fire. Jesus has to be the core of our belief no matter what we face. 
no matter what we see on TV, no matter what National Geographic says is true, no matter what the Smithsonian Institute brings out about the reality or the unrealistic possibilities of Christ. It just doesn't matter. This is where faith kicks in. Either we believe until death or we don't believe and we encounter the second death. The second one is unbelieving. This is pretty, this is pre pretty self-explanatory. It is actively disbelieving an example not in Christian faith. So it's a little bit different here. This is someone who believes and then they just abandon the belief. This here is someone who just doesn't believe. Atheist, agnostic, just someone out there who just like, well, I believe, I believe there's many ways to God. That is a very popular thing nowadays it's called universalism. Where it can come through Christ, it can come through Islam, it can come through Buddha, it could come through one of the many gods of Hinduism and so forth. They all point to God. Either we believe all the Bible or we believe none of the Bible. We cannot create biblical departments and say, we like this part, but now nah, I ain't cool with that part. And Christ himself said, no man can come to God unless he comes through me. So there is not multiple paths unto God. There are multiple paths to the lake of fire. And there's only one path to God, and that is Jesus Christ. The third one. Now this one's going to get sticky. Yeah, it's going to get sticky. Abominable. What is abominable? I think of the abominable snowman in the, in the uh, Rudolph Rednose, you know, little cartoon thing. That's not abominable. Technically, abominable mean, means what makes something detestable. It also means people who commit abominations. If I am abominable, then that means I am guilty of abominations. So what are abominations? Not every wrong is an abomination in Scripture. There is a select amount of, abo of abominations. I'm going to read you some verses. The first one's going to seem to be okay. The next two, nah, uh, yeah. 
just because of our social condition, our, our you know, condition socially. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things which the Lord's hate. The Lord, not Lord, excuse me. Which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. We can dive, dive deeper into this. We're not, but this just shows us right here that not all wrong is the same. We see things right here that the Lord hates, and then we see things that is an abomination. So let's read them. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utter lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's an easy one there to, uh, that's an easy verse to kind of digest. But let's take this a little bit further. Let's, let, let's go into our present, uh, some of our pres, present embracings. Like we, uh, uh, church people and unchurch people alike have begun to embrace things in our society and in our world that the Bible is absolutely against and is considered an abomination. Let me just read it to you. Leviticus 18.22 you shall not lie with a male. We're talking about lying down, lying with, being with, sexual lying with. As one lies with a female, it is an abomination. What does that mean? It means if you are a male and you lie with another male, you just become abominable. If you are a female and you have relations with another female, you've just become abominable. Let's take it a little bit further. Some of you may not even realize this one is in here. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So what does that mean if I was to go put on one of my wife's t-shirts that I become abominable? Does that mean if she wears one of my dress shirts, which I actually like it when she does? Does that make her abominable? No. This means when a woman tries to become a man and when a man tries to become a woman, they become abominable. I know this goes against social acceptances, but this is what the Bible says. I hope to God, you, you know, I'm not just giving you something this opposes so many people's, especially my generation and younger, so many people's okay with certain things in society. You might be saying, well, these are Old Testament laws. They don't apply to us today. Let, let me hit the pause button on the main topic and let me just give you a freebie. 
So when you look at Old Testament laws, you basically see three categories of laws. You see a moral law, you see a civil law, and you see a ceremonial law. Civil law is how they did their government in the Old Testament. Ceremonial law is how they worshiped God in the Old Testament. And the moral code is how they were to live their lives in the Old Testament in direct relationship to God. When you study out the differences of New Testament laws and Old Testament laws, what you come across is the ceremonial and the civil laws of the Old Testament are changed in the New Testament. But the moral laws of the Old Testament are not changed in the New Testament. The same moral laws that was wrong in the Old Testament are wrong in the New Testament. You see that coming out of Jesus' mouth. You see it coming out of the apostles' mouth. So when you look at what I just read you, homosexuality, uh, transgender issues, that has nothing to do with the ceremonial law that has everything to, or a civil law that has everything to do with a moral law. And throughout scripture, moral laws give us a character reference or a character insight into who God himself is. And the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So these moral laws that represent the nature of God, they do not change because God does not change. Does that make sense? So that's why I, I, I feel at liberty to give you an Old Testament law that is still applicable to today for us in the New Testament age because it is a moral law from God and not a civil or ceremonial law. Amen? The fourth one is murders. Mm, this is going to be another sticky one. So murders is people who intentionally kill an innocent human being. Now, most of us in here can be like, hey, I'm safe. I might want to kill my neighbor, but I haven't. The husband makes me really mad, but I, he's still living. And how true I wish this was. I wish it stopped right there. But I have to be honest with you, it doesn't stop right there. There is a debate in our country right now of when life actually starts. Some say life starts in the womb. Some say life starts out of the womb, like the moment a being comes out of a, the womb. Some say life starts when that being actually is able to live. This is very important because murder is the taking of life. And to see if this is applicable to anybody, we have to really look at when one is or would actually commit a murder by the time 
a life would be taken. Some people feel that a murder is not taken when an innocent life is taken from a mother's womb because life doesn't begin in the womb. Life begins when a breath is taken outside of the womb. But let me put this into your mind. So the Bible teaches us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, a physical, living being, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we agree on that, right? Well, if you don't, it don't matter because the Bible says that. Now, in Luke, the Bible teaches us that John the Baptist became a temple of the Holy Ghost when he was in where? When he was in the womb. The Bible says that Mary, who was with child with Jesus, came to visit her auntie, Elizabeth. And when Mary first greeted Elizabeth, the child that was in the womb that had not breathed yet, that had not come into life yet, jumped and was filled with the Holy Ghost. So according to Scripture, since a living being is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost does not feel anything but a living being. According to Scripture, John the Baptist, in the womb, was a living being that the Holy Ghost filled. So according to Scripture, we have to embrace a reality that children in the womb of their mothers are living beings. And when we take the life of a living being that is innocent and is done intentionally, what do we do? We commit murder. And murder sends us to the lake of fire. I know that's not setting well with some of you. But again, I just got to give you what the Bible says. Number five, New King James Version says sexually immoral. The King James ver Version says whoremonger. Whoremonger, what an ugly word, right? Such an ugly word. We all know sexual immorality is wrong, but it sounds a whole lot better than whoremonger. <laughs> I, I think they should have kept the term whoremonger in there. I, I think some of us would be okay say, oh, we're sexually immoral. But to look at yourself in the mirror and say you are a whoremonger, that's like, I don't want to be a whoremonger. That is such an ugly word. That's just the, the, the connotations of that. Like, ugh. It's like worse than worse than the term pervert, or creeper, or chester, right? Like whoremonger. I'm, anyway, let's move on, let's move on. So this 
this term actually comes from the term uh, pornos. Pornos means fornication. Uh, it means prostitution. It means uh, sex for hire, which is pornogra like pornography. Uh, sexual morality also includes uh, uh, adultery. You take the word pornos a little bit further into a word called por por porna pornania. I'm sorry. Yeah, pornania. It's actually where you get the word pornography from. So what 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 does this what what then what is sexually immoral? Again, this is a bit going to get a bit sticky. Sexual immorality is fornication. What's fornication? It's real simple. It's when you have sex before you said I do. It's very simple. The term fornication in the Bible means just that. It means you're having sex with a partner and you haven't committed your life to them. It's considered sexual immoral and it's considered whoremongering. Prostitution, this is basically a no-brainer. It's when someone sells their body for sex. Uh, sex for hire. Again, you know, it, that has to do with pornography because when someone is, is, is involved in the work of pornography, uh, they are having sex for money. So it's sex for hire. And then we know what adultery is. Uh, when you're married and you have sexual intercourse uh, with someone who is not your spouse. These things... Uh, for the most part, socially, this prostitution still, for the most part, isn't accepted. There is a group of people that considers this to be very acceptable. But they, they haven't reached mainstream yet. They will, because it's, it's, it's that way in other countries. Uh, but it hasn't hit mainstream yet here. Uh, but what's very acceptable is fornication, like, I mean, I, I can't tell you how acceptable that is. People actually feel like it's healthy. It's better to have sex before you get married than it is after you get married. So then you realize if you are sexually compatible with your partner. But according to scripture, sexuality doesn't determine whether you are compatible with your partner or not. Sexuality is just a pleasure and a gift after you've dedicated your life to your partner. And it's by means of which we increase and develop families with our partner. There's scientific evidence that talks about the outcome and the unhealthiness of fornication in people's life and how people who do not commit fornication once they're married, has a more fulfilling sexual, uh, more fulfilling sexual encounters with their partner. We're not having a sex talk, so we're not going to get on that. But this, it, I mean, it's so common, right? Like every show you watch, even teenage Disney shows, it's promoted 
did you know there was a group of people trying to make it okay to have that that the legal age uh, to be to be okay with having sex is 12 years old those of you who are parents of kids can you imagine can you imagine that law passing and your 12 year old being legally able to say yes I want to have sex with a 20 year old why is that happening because sexual immorality has been accepted in the church in, and in society. Because sexual, the sexual sin, sexual sin and sexual uh, demons, they start small and they grow and they become absolute monsters. And in our nation, we have become a sexual monster. Another acceptance is sex for hire. Pornography is something that is very much so socially accepted nowadays. Again, there's those that say it's absolutely healthy. It's healthy for a husband and wife to sit there and watch sex scenes together and then have sex themselves. It's totally okay for the wife to be watching TV but not in the mood so the husband can go to his back room and watch pornographic images and videos because his wife's not in the mood. I'm being real with you. Don't get mad at me because you go home and watch TVs that has way more than what I'm talking about. You know that's the truth. I've talked with some of you. And for too long, the pulpit has not talked about these topics. And the reason we have such problems is because people behind the pulpit is too scared to talk about this or they're caught up in this crap themselves and they don't talk about it. Sorry, getting a little blood, my blood getting a little boiled. It has created so much issues in families and lives. I know firsthand because of my experience in human trafficking and, 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 and for other reasons as well. Not to stay on this. It will send you to the lake of fire. Very simple. Very simple. The next one, sorcerers. You may not think this is a big deal, but it has become a big deal. Did you know that in, in most secular bookstores, that uh, books on, on, on topics of witchcraft, uh, uh, Wiccan religion, uh, magic, and I'm not talking about cute magic tricks that you try to pull a rabbit out of a hat. I'm not talking about that. Seances, spells, uh, potions, uh, psychics, uh, tarot cards, etc. Those types of books far outweigh spiritual or biblical-based books inside of a secular bookstore. Why? Because there's way more interest and there's way more experimentation in this stuff than there is our biblical faith. So it's very important that we do not allow our hearts and we do not allow our minds to have to take an interest in these things. Because the world or media makes it look very interesting. 
If we're not careful, we'll watch a certain kind of movie and we find ourselves susceptible mentally or curious about something here and other things that I didn't even list. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves entrapped by occultic practices. Now, I, I don't get on the bandwagon of opposing movies because they're fantasy. Back in the day, people opposed Star Wars because of the mind power that was in Star Wars. How many of you like Star Wars? You're going to hell. God forgive me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like Star Wars. It's, I don't do a lot of movies, but it's one of the movies. I, I, I love it when you know, a new series comes out on, on, on one of the streaming platforms. But yeah, I, I, like Lorana really hit it good last week when she started talking about you know or, or legalism, and if we're not careful, we we can read this and you can take a simple fantasy movie. It's just a fantasy movie, you know, like Star Wars, Star Trek. You know, I, I don't I don't want to start listing them, and we can get on the bandwagon that oh we gotta do all these things because of what it has. You know, I don't. But then again, I will say that there are plenty of movies out there. That, that promote this, push this, and becomes a gateway for our children to have interest in this. Okay, so I'm not saying that we just have to ignore the movies. You understand that, right? I'm just saying we can't be legalistic about it. Uh, we, 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 we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Use some wisdom uh, in that. The next one is idolaters. It's basically the worship of false gods, as it says. It's other religions. I already hit on this. You know, there's not many paths to God. There's only one path to God, and that's Jesus Christ. It's the worshiping of idols, like statues, idols, images, pictures. Uh, some people worship pictures of, of, of their dead family members. Mm, that's, not, that's wrong. Some people worship statues of some sort. That's not acceptable. The Bible is really clear about it. We only worship God himself, not the image of God. Amen? The last one is liars. Again, self-explanatory. This is not talking about telling your, talk, you know, telling your kids that a certain character is real when they're not really real, if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say it because I don't know if we have any little ones in here. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know, the person who puts money under a pillow, or, you know, the person that, that you know, likes reindeer, you know. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about telling, you know, you, you told your wife, uh, you just, you went to get a coffee, but in all reality, you went to the jewelry store and you bought her a piece of jewelry for her birthday. You know, that's not what this is meaning. Because uh, technically, you're not telling the truth if you said, oh, I went to got to get a coffee, but you really went to get a piece of jewelry. Not that they would mind. They would love that you went to, <laughs> to get a piece of jewelry as opposed to a coffee. But that's not what this is meaning. This is meaning to be a deceiver, a false witness. You lie against people. You lie for gain. You lie for harm. You're a deceiver. You're deceitful. You're deceitful in your actions. You're deceitful in your words. You're deceitful. You're a liar. There's no truth in you. You don't speak the truth. You lie. Whether that's lying to make yourself feel better or lying to make yourself look better. 
lying to get ahead, lying not, not to have to do something, whatever it might be, it says it, and it says it in other scriptures too, that liars shall have their part in the lake of fire because God is not a God of deceit or false witness. Amen? So, in, 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 in my closing, if we choose these things, God, I hate saying it. If we choose these things, what is a reality for us? Not heaven. Not blessing. Not the goodness of God. If we choose these things, we're walking on thin ice. How many of you have walked on ice? You? I have. Every so often, I would say once every several years in Mississippi, we'd have a really hard freeze. It would snow, get really cold. And I remember a couple times as a kid it happened, and you know, we had a lot of ponds around us that we fished in, and they turned they they, uh, they became eyes. They froze over. And, you know, our parents and grandparents would be like, don't you go walking on those ponds. But did we listen? No, we didn't listen. But thank God I never fall in. But I did walk out on the pond. And I would, like, you know, I would feather walk. And, and what was really scary, like I knew, I, I knew what I was, think the Lord just kind of showed me something. Uh, I, I knew what I was doing was, number one, I knew I was disobeying. I knew what I was doing was risky. But I was doing it. I, I was okay. But then all of a sudden, I remember specifically to this day, almost 40 years ago, I began to hear the crack, crack, crack. And what went through my mind is me falling through the hole in the water and me trying to come up and I couldn't come up and I would drown to death. For some of you or for any of us that is making the choices that I talked about today, you're not just walking on thin ice. You're walking on thin ice and it's cracking. And the cracking is a sign that you're about to fall through. My word to you today is from God. I can stand in front of you and say that, say that 100%. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.